Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Writer's Advice Podcast. Once again, this is brought to you by Booksprout. Now, Booksprout is my go-to for putting all my advanced reader copies out there, building my readership and getting that early feedback and reviews that is very important when it comes to yeah, spreading your work out there and and building your readership um, and getting that early feedback, of course. But if you are a reader as well, you can join Booksprout and read as many advanced reader copies from all the authors that put it on there. Um, Booksprout is my go-to and I highly, highly, highly recommend. Now, let's get into this episode. I, I, This is probably my favorite book of the year when it comes to reading a really in-depth, beautiful romance. I am literally obsessed with Vincent van Gogh and I have absolutely loved Sylvia's take on this. So this is an interview with her and going into depth about research and everything that she's done to create her beautiful book, Vincent and Cien. And there's so much good, um, there's so much good stuff in there about being a Van Gogh. And when you listen to this episode, you'll understand what this all means. And I highly recommend grabbing a copy of this book. Um, Yes, she has definitely inspired a lot in me, uh, which I will share with you in another episode very soon. But that's all I've got for you to do. Good day, guys. I'm, I don't think I have any other life updates or anything like that. We are just going to get straight into this interview with Sylvia. Writer's Advice is a point of connection, a dose of inspiration, and an insight into the creative process of the babes behind the books. I'm your host, Olivia Hillier. Each week, I'll be interviewing authors from around the globe on their creative process and how they got to where they are today and what it's really like inside the industry of publishing. So listen in, take notes, and I hope you walk away inspired, ready to take on the next level of your writing wherever you are in your journey. Welcome back to the Writer's Advice Podcast, guys. I am so excited because today I have author Sylvia Kwan with us, who is hot on the new release of Vincent and Cien, which honestly, I just finished reading and there's so much I want to dive into this. So thank you so much for being being here with us, Sylvia. No, no, my pleasure. Now, I want to go all, before I dive into this book and all the facets of it and just like everything everything about it I want to go all the way back to the start and be like when was the first time that you decided that you wanted to dive into the craft of writing because this isn't your first book either so Mm -hmm. yeah I want to know how that kind of all came about for you and, and where it began sure look I've always been interested in books um but I've worked in publishing um didn't quite have the courage to say I, w- I wanted to become a writer, but I love words and I love working with writers. And obviously, I've been an avid reader all my life. Um, and but it wasn't until I had my son, and I was um, sort of homebound, and and became utterly bored with just day in day out um, work of of raising a, a child. So um, I really wanted some intellectual stimulation that I could just be in charge of of how I would do, you know, carry that out. So um, during his sleeps, uh, I would scribble and read and, 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 and it really began from there. And I just wrote um, something um, quite nonfiction, um, an essay that was 
picked up by the age um, wow. when he was only 18 months old. And they took it straight away without any hesitation. And I even got paid for it, which was quite incredible now looking back. And that gave me the confidence to tackle a larger project. Um, so um, I just, yeah, kept writing really. But it was really being at home and not having that environment that I was used to. So I was just really, I mean, I love my son, but the the whole sort of maternal <laughs> time-consuming work um, really got to me. So it was my outlet, really. Yeah. You know, yeah, I writing. love that. Mm. Yeah, and it's something mm. for you as well. But And it's like, it's also interesting, I think, it's the balance of having enough time to kind of let that creativity, like, go wild, but then it's also, like, giving you that time to, like, do something for you at the same time, which I think is absolutely beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so and you, when you have a child, you, you you have a naturally imposed, dead, you know, like sort of time frame, right, he'll be asleep for two hours. Let's see how much I can do. And um, I, it, and, it, and now looking back, that was kind of a, a weird luxury <laughs> to have that imposed on me. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. It's like, work. okay, this is what I'm left with. This is what I've got to do. And, and um, I guess it's like it forces your brain to act in that way with the time that you have. <laughs> yeah, awesome. absolutely. Yeah. So you went straight from an essay to a novel? Is that like you were just like, right, I'm going for this? Yeah, I did. I did. Um, and uh, it was a, a, a huge, you know, learning curve um, because, you know, reading, being a fiction reader uh, does not necessarily prepare you for writing it. Yeah. I mean, certainly you, you have to be a reader to be a writer, but, um, you know, there were lots of tools that I needed to learn. So I did do um, a year at RMIT um, yep. in the writing and editing course there. And that really kickstarted it in a big way. And then I, you know, took it took it further. I, I continued just, just to work on it, um, having learned what I learned. Um, and then it was picked up uh from a slush pile so that was um, even more amazing and uh, gave me the confidence to think maybe I could do this you know for the long term so um uh, that was released in 2014 and then I just continued to write short stories and other sort of bits and pieces and then 2016 we went on a family trip to Europe and that's when I encountered um the idea for this for this second novel oh my gosh I'm so glad that you did this and there's so much there and there's so much I want to dive into but please tell me about that moment like were like were you in it's, it's Amsterdam that Vincent's were you yeah. that where you were yeah, so you, the, Van Gogh yeah. the Van Gogh Museum is in Amsterdam and it's between Stedelijk Museum which is the contemporary modern art edgy museum and the Rijks Museum uh, which is your traditional, you know, from from Rembrandt and Vermeer's. So yeah. it's very, very, very classical traditional art. And so I was actually just on my way to the Stedelijk Museum, which is the modern museum, thinking, oh, look, I, I don't know if I'll have time for the Van Gogh Museum, but the queue was so short. And the day before I noticed how long the queue was, it sort of winds around the back of the building and, and down the pavement. So... Uh, when I saw the queue was short, I thought, oh, I'll just pop in. And then, of course, I stayed there for the rest of the day um, because there's a treasure trove of, of um, primary resource there about Vincent's work and life that I just didn't expect, you know. And, you know, the amount of times 
you know, I encountered his work, like all of us, you know, on photo album covers to, uh, you know, all the prints, uh, the, the number of country motels I've, I've stayed at in Australia, you know, in the middle of nowhere in WA, um, yeah. still managed to have a print of his irises or his bedroom. So that's how, you know, well-known he is and um, how ubiquitous his work is, I suppose. So I kind of just, I wasn't that, you know, inspired to go and see the Van Gogh Museum, but once there I saw the potato eaters, which I had seen, you know, numerous times in, in books and, and prints. But it just, um, I think the contrast was something that really struck me. The Rijks Museum with all its beautiful, exquisite vermeers and all the refined works. And then to be encountered uh, with this crude, slapdash kind of brushstroke sort of rendered painting and yet it was so powerful it just stopped me in my tracks literally and um and then I was hooked really I thought how can this man <laughs> paint this at a time when no one else was painting like this you know yeah. and then I just had sort of admiration for his original vision his boldness to to have that style and yeah. be unequivocal about it unapologetic just you know and his his motive was to move the viewer you know what with whatever means he had at his disposal and he really managed to do that with that painting so um and it's an early work um you know and we all know his french paintings from ours um and then i went back a little bit to when he began um, in The Hague um, and then discovered he had a, a romantic partner for nearly two years, which I, which was just news to me. And then, you know, I delved further into their story and how she helped him and, uh, and it was just so tragic, really. So I, I just, yeah, I mean, when you write a novel, you really need to be in for the long haul and um, the story has to really stay with you and resonate with you um, because it is such a long journey it's a bit of a marathon and um, and I just couldn't stay away from the story I think that that really you know took me to the end yeah yeah he is something like I I haven't been to Amsterdam. Damn, I am dying to see his museum because I have always, I didn't know the depths of his story, like all the depths, and I'm sure that you've been in, deep dived into all the intricate parts to mm. write something so beautiful like this. But to me, it was exactly mm. how you said, like being before your time, but also, you know, the tragic end of his story and just like to me, like even when I don't want to give anything away when you write in the book, but it's like how influential he has been to so many generations and mm -hmm. to, to not have been that while he was here, essentially, and to not even be able to see that, it, it's just, mm -hmm. especially like the true artist that he was, he was just completely mm -hmm. in it. And I, the way you portrayed him is so realistic. I feel like I'm in the room with them. You've put me back into mm -hmm. this time that is just so mind boggling for us now of like all mm. the aspects of, you know, that 
that era and I'm just like everyone needs to get their hands on this book but I'm I'm dying to like know all the research that you went into to really bring that to life and I also don't know because I haven't Mm. done it myself of how much Mm. is is true or have you have you played with some things in there what kind of how did you bring it all together Mm. look the research was incredible yeah um but uh, fortunately um Dutch people are very generous and they are very comfortable speaking English with you they're not precious about um their language that you must speak it when when you're in their country so um that I was very privileged in that way. And and really it began, I think it only became really possible for me when um, I spoke to the only Dutch person I know who happens to be a very good friend of mine. I mean, she's Australian born, but her parents were Dutch migrants um, who went to Perth. And she said, look, let me ask my cousin, um, who's an antique dealer and sort of knows a few people, if he knows anyone who... I may be able to speak, you know, you may be able to speak to regarding this topic. So she emailed him and then he says, oh, the only person I know um, who handles this kind of um, history, who who knows this kind of history in, in Den Haag or The Hague is Pieter. And, and I emailed him and he said, oh, yes, I, 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 that's that's my specialty. And so I met with him Um in in the Hague and we had a coffee and it turned out he wrote a paper for a conference about prostitution in in the Hague in in the 1900 uh, 1800s um which was a thriving industry yeah. and he presented that paper in English and he just gave me the paper that he wrote wow um, and it unlocked CN's world for me because it looked into pros- the lives of prostitutes you know what what they were paid i mean some were even paid in bread that was they were that poor um but it was a thrive you know we wouldn't think that now when we go to the hague because it's such a elegant beautiful city but the slum area uh, was known um you know for prostitutes and there were you know quite quite you know hundreds nearly a thousand i think because leiden its sister city only half an hour away i went back to their sort of archive office and they had 800 prostitutes at one point in this small city and the world congress on prostitution uh, was held in the hague um sort of late 1800s because people were you know concerned about how thriving this industry was and wanted to put a stop to it so i really had to get my head around this this revelation because I just didn't expect it so she was just one of quite a number of women who were working this way mm. um you know industrialization didn't quite happen in the Hague it was just a very much a two-world um place so there was the the rich and then there was the poor and and really there wasn't a lot to do for the poor that come in from the the countryside but there weren't really an industry or jobs for them that you might find in some of the industrial towns yeah um, that had had those infrastructure set up so he his paper opened CN's world to me and then from there I spent time in the archival offices of the Hague and Leiden and met with a couple of other historians who who you know, help me further uh, to find out more about um, 
Sien's world. But, you know, there were a couple of good accounts of, of Vincent's life that were also quite critical um, to my research. And there's a tome about the size of a phone book, um, the Van Gogh. It's just called Van Gogh. Um, and it was written by two American writers. Um, and that was very comprehensive um, biography uh, of Vincent. So that was a valuable resource. Um, I've read another art his historical account of his time with Sin by a, a female art historian, Carol Zemmel. Um, and that sort of, again, um, you know, delved further into the sort of the the, the cultural underpinnings um, to their relationship as as a bourgeois gentleman and a and a streetwalker. Um, so I, I, you know, there were art historical books. As you can imagine, there are there's so much written about Vincent um, that it can be quite overwhelming to yeah. to tackle <laughs> such a subject. But really, um, his letters, I guess, were the backbone of my research too, because. He, he tells Theo about his relationship with Sin um, because they were close. And um, Vincent was, um, he was such a wordsmith. When you read his letters, I mean, they are incredibly written. He, he, he spoke French, English, Dutch, and wrote in all three. Um, and his, his telling of, of their relationship to Theo um, is is quite moving early on, you know, um, and so I understood the the time frame of the relationship from those letters, and also um, his view of of the relationship. So that was valuable. But all through the research and through all the reading, you know, a lot of questions came up in my mind because he he was a man. He was from a particular class with with its privileges and I just don't think he could have had an insight into her life and her world no much you know I mean he was moved by her plight and he was sympathetic but when you know she she came from nothing she had nothing and then she's plucked from obscurity and poverty I mean she's was probably nearly close to death because um you know she she had nobody looking after her. She was, in fact, looking after her mother and her children. So um, I just think he was just moved by her situation, so um, he helped her. But through their relationship, I don't think he, he would have understood the difficulties she had, you know, to, to be suddenly thrown into this relationship <laughs> um, with a gentleman, which never happened, really. I mean, it just didn't happen. Maybe in Bohemian Paris. There was a lot of that sort of going on. Baudelaire, the poet, had um, a negress as a mistress, and there was just a lot of that sort of looseness in 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 that world. But certainly in the Hague um, in eighteen eighties, it would have been so rare, you know. Oh my gosh! Um, yeah. I mm. think that's what makes so, it a love story. Of that's what what you want to dive into, isn't it? It's so. It's beautiful. It's something that we can't imagine mm. anymore. There's so many aspects of it. It's like wow, like none of our lives are lived in this this way anymore. That it's 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 beautiful and whimsical and like heartbreaking and opening at the same time. Like it, it, there's so many aspects mm. to it. And you yeah, you really have brought that. Like I literally felt like I was there with them in his world. And and oh my gosh, they just two of the best characters I've ever read. And I just 
but yes, <laughs> that's the thing though. How do you, with so much research and also so much written about it, it's like, how do you pick what to, because I think you'd get, you've gave it a whole other spin. And I think that you've left out, I, I don't want to go into the story too much to give it away, but I think that there's a lot of things that are um, spoken about um, Van Gogh that you left out and I'm glad you did because I'm like that's what people see him for or know him for and it's like no they're like let's go to the depths of this relationship and, and this person and I, I love that mm. yeah yeah look he's I mean everyone has an opinion on him but it's really based on his later years I mean mm. certainly he, he his mental breakdown in his later years has really overshadowed him but you have to remember he's only 27 in this relationship yeah. And, and I've encountered many men in their late 20s and they really, they nearly really need sex, you know, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he he was he was desperate for an intimate relationship. Mm. You know, he had, he had visited brothels um, through his 20s, no doubt. Um, and he, you know, advised Theo to do the same for their health and salutary effects. So he believed in the physical, the, the you know, he... He wasn't prude, you know, and yeah. um, he he really needed that intimacy and, and he sought it, you know. So, and also, I, as I think I, I I cover in the book, he also just recently had his heart broken. Yeah. So he was primed for just filling that void yeah. and he, you know, and he yearned. Um, and for them to have stayed together for that time, they they must have, you know, it, it wouldn't have been a light relationship. It wasn't a three, six-month thing. I mean, 18 months and child-rearing and yeah. I mean, it would have been an intense time. But they would have they would have been in love, I think, you know, yeah. no doubt. It wasn't a convenient thing for either of them. I think that it had to be, have been more in order for them to have endured, you know, oh, that length of time. Absolutely. And like you said, like everything that everything that they've gone through together and then going against what was the norm of like even like we learned living together without marriage and, and all the things. It's um oh mm, it's it's mm. just such a beautiful story. So I can't I can't thank you enough for, for putting this together. What was the process after the research? You must be so in their yeah. world. You must feel like you're there mm. with them. Like what was the process after yeah. that? What was your writing process? Well, I then, you know, I had to look at the, the toolbox and think, well, who's going to tell the story? Um, so is it CN? Is it a third-person narration? Um, which means you could sort of enter Vincent's head and, and other characters' heads. So I sort of dabbled with all of those points of views. Um, but she couldn't read or write. So the first person, I just don't think I could have pulled it off. Yeah. Um, so I had to um, express her thoughts and emotions in a voice that was not hers necessarily, but was some a voice that she could have had in her thoughts, not so much in her articulate speech. So that was probably the trickiest part of the process is finding that voice to tell her story. I mean, I, I did do a third-person narration story um, a point of view where I was going into Vincent's head and but it was uh, look technically it's a really difficult thing to do for me personally and also 
there was there is so much known about Vincent and you can read him in his letters you know um so a friend of mine suggested why don't you tell her story just her story because it hasn't been told before and that's what you're really interested in mm. and she was right so I settled then on telling the story from her point of view but then finding that voice that was really intimate enough that you feel like you're inside her head mm. um was was the challenging one given she she couldn't read or write but yeah. she was I think quite an intelligent woman from what Vincent writes about her um and so that was that was the 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 really technical issue I had to overcome and then I found this sort of third person voice or third person close as they say in in fiction classes um that speaks for her thoughts and could mm -hmm. be her yeah yeah so that's that's how we came about really I was just gonna say you've done it so well because I, I don't know sometimes like as a writer I like to you don't even you don't even mean to but when you're reading something you're kind of like trying to figure out how it how it's been done or like how you like the you know like just okay mm. yeah I can see where they've done that and where they've planted this and I just got lost in that story I was like oh, all that part of my brain was not even there I'm just so <laughs> into the story that I'm like this is great <laughs> oh that's great that you didn't notice the technique no I was like wow because even when you're explaining it now I'm like yeah because I felt like I was there in both of them but it's like this ominous presence at the same time it's it's amazing I yeah, yeah very very well done and 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 I could and I thought I could still capture Vincent and what he was like through her eyes yeah so I was really mindful of that and and that's a bit of a bit of a dance thing that you do in your head to to, to pull that together it's so hard to kind of articulate and break down you know yeah yeah absolutely and how do you mm. feel I like I um I don't know this, I feel like because you're you're so into this story and the research you've done it's, it's something that's just really come to you but it's like balancing a piece of fiction work with truth like how how do you how did mm. you feel find that part of it coming along of like the just little things that you had to put in there you know what I mean yeah well look you know with all the research you you just don't have the space to put it all in the book and you shouldn't yeah, yeah. you know because you're taking the reader on an emotional journey not a historical journey you mm. know yeah and so, you know, you sort of had to know what the lamp looked like. You had to know what the room looked like in order to write, you know, the, the mm -hmm. scene because it's set in that room with that lamp. But you just can't put that in, you know. Yeah. Um, you just can't put that in. So, the, the, you know, there's, it's, it's hard to say whether this is an accurate account and I just don't think um, it it's that relevant really yeah. in fiction you know yeah. um what you're trying to discover is um a more elusive terrain of emotions yeah um and that's why we all read fiction yeah and so you know my first question when I started well what was it like to live with Vincent van Gogh and to have him as your lover I mean <laughs> well to get lost in I'd love it yeah <laughs> I know <laughs> and you know, and thankfully, I fell in love with his work. Um, 
very belatedly and that helped me to have a sympathetic understanding of him and I had huge admiration for him as an artist because I realized the early struggles would have been Mm. absolutely I mean the later struggles were no less difficult yeah with given his mental health issues at the time in France but his early struggles you know when everyone ignored him and in fact dismissed him not not just ignored him but thought him crazy for for painting and drawing in the way that he did and yet we look at them now it seems so obvious but certainly not at that time he was really working you know against the the trends you know and the popular opinion um so I I thought what if he'd buckled what if he'd just given up yeah we wouldn't have legacy (laughs) I went to so um... I thought He's a he's a tenacious, stubborn, difficult man. Imagine living with him when he's trying to launch his career, and um and it was his and it was his stubbornness that actually um you know gave us the beautiful work that we still admire today. You know, yeah. if it hadn't been for his stubbornness, um you know he could have fallen by the wayside easily. You explained that so beautifully because I had, and I think anyone, any, like any woman reading this book will have both sides of that account. It's like, wow, there's amazing things you've done. But at the same time, living in that situation is a whole, yeah. a whole, a whole other thing to, to be. Yeah. You know, well, yeah. there was a huge cost. Um, yeah. Especially to someone like Sien. You yeah. Know? She was there. She provided the intimacy, the succour, the, the emotional support um you know she gave her body to him she she sat for him um and gave him a family life that helped helped him to to then go on to the next stage of his career so um but I think it would have taken its toll on her undoubtedly as you read in the book yeah, yeah. um and you know it's relationships um love stories there's layers and complications and um and that's what I tried to capture in the book I suppose you did um, you did and even being that like even being in a completely different like being in the 1800s I still feel like there's so many aspects of that can that can be relevant today and it is Honestly, this it is the most any like most people who are listening to this are writers themselves anyway. So honestly, you have to read this because it is like the perfect balance of love and art. I am just obsessed. It's it's definitely on my top list. So thank you so much for your work, Sylvia. I absolutely love it. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm so great gratified to hear that. Um, <laughs> it was a long journey. Took a, took quite a few years <laughs> and many rewrites. <laughs> I was gonna I mean, say yeah the amount of work you put into this is amazing and, and your writing is so beautiful and articulate and one question that I always like to ask um people who come on here is is a little bit of advice that you could pass on to someone that you know that is writing something right now or an up-and-coming writer or someone who wants to to start something what's kind of like some tips that you've got along the way to to create your incredible work <laughs> Yeah, look, the first one is never give up, really. Um, you have to just keep doing it. And along the way, <laughs> yeah, never give up. And be a Van Gogh. Just, just keep keep doing it um, without any expectations um, and, and see where that leads you. And the other thing I would say is um, incredible things happen in rewrites. 
which mm. um, yep. you know you shouldn't shy away from. Be prepared to keep rewriting and rewriting and rewriting. And no matter how many drafts you have, it it's it's on the way to being better than than before. And keep that in mind and 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 be prepared to roll up your sleeves and just yeah be able to do that it's yeah it's actually yeah. my favorite part of uh, writing is the rewrites now yeah is it because mm. it's like also if if you're working with someone else on that at the same time it's like getting that other point of view and you're able to sit back and let it rest and then come back to it where you can see it from a different point yeah I I like that as well yeah absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. so you've got to have that patience to let it go for a time and forget about it and try to come back with fresh eyes each time. And that can be challenging too. I, I can get quite obsessive and want to keep working at it and not let go. But um, sometimes stepping back is actually the best thing you can do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, Sophie. And everyone needs to go and get Vincent and Sien. Honestly, it's going to be at all good all good bookstores um, when this episode comes out. I absolutely love this and to be honest I'm excited to see what other story really captivates you for another another piece of work that's coming so yeah that that would be that would be great it would yeah, be my yeah. pleasure to, to talk to you again and I'm so happy that you enjoyed the book it's it means a lot I absolutely love it it's top of my recommendation list honestly so thank you so much okay I'm thank glad you. thanks Olivia thank you thanks, Sylvia. Thank you. Okay.